Welcome to the latest edition of Angles, the Angular Advisors podcast. My guest today is Jamie Lee, the founder of Jamie Lee Coach, who, in her own words, helps people get bolder, braver, and better paid in the field of negotiation and influence when it comes to negotiating salaries and promotions. Now, we all know that the best way to increase your net worth is not so much to get 8% rather than 7% on your returns on your investments, but to get pay raises and salary increases on a regular basis that reflect your contribution to the firm and the amount that you work. Jamie helps people maximize this. We talk about a number of things on the podcast, uh, ranging from why this is so difficult for so many people to a number of tips to a number of ways that you can improve this process yourself. It's mostly about changing your mindset. So I bring you my conversation with Jamie Lee. So, um, Jamie is um, the founder of Jamie Lee Coach. She is a negotiation coach. And um, I wanted to talk to her today. That's actually quite a good question. Why would I want to talk to a negotiation coach on a financial planning podcast? And, of course, the answer is no matter what you do in terms of getting rates of return and making the right investments and keeping your costs low and everything else, your primary source of income in most cases is going to be, Jamie, you know the answer to this. What is it? Income. Your income, (laughs) your salaried income. Exactly. And uh, just as you need to manage your investments, you need to manage your income. Um, from your employer. So that's where Jamie comes in. Um, And uh, Jamie, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, the firm you you own as it is now and how you got there? Sure. I have a coaching practice. Uh, I'm an individual proprietor at jamieleecoach.com. And I got started... Early, really early. My um, my family is from South Korea, and we immigrated here when I was seven years old. And I watched my parents work extremely, extremely hard, 364 days out of the year hard uh, as um, store owners. And throughout this childhood, my mother served as my Monday morning quarterback She was always advocating that I advocate for myself and speak up and be sassy and be bold and ask for what I wanted. And I didn't like it. (laughs) Was she like that? I did not like... Was she a role model for you in that? Oh, oh, absolutely. She's a tough negotiator. You know, she negotiated with us. She negotiated with vendors. And, you know, she ran a business by herself eventually after my parents divorced. And she raised all three daughters by herself in America while speaking English with a very thick accent, if at all. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, comedian Margaret Cho, but she likes to make fun of her own mother's 
Korean accent, and I'm like, wow, my mother speaks English a little bit worse than that. And I mentioned I didn't like it when she was uh, advocating that I be sassy and bold and speak up. When I went into the working world, I realized, OMG, my mother was right. She was 100% right. I have to ask for what I want. I have to advocate. You know, if I have to watch out for myself. And then it all sort of catalyzed one day for me about, oh boy, about seven years ago, I was having cocktails with some of my girlfriends uh, and... Per usual, one woman was complaining about her boyfriend. One woman was complaining about her job. And then the other woman, the third woman, who uh, is my mentor, you know, she turned to the woman who's complaining about her job and she says, you know, if you feel undervalued, if you feel unhappy, there's always room in the budget for more. There's always room in the budget for more if you are good and if you know how to ask well. And it was that statement, that um, statement of abundance of, you know, yeah, you can ask, you can negotiate, that changed everything for me. That's when the light bulb went off in my head and I realized we need to have a conversation about this. As I started organizing workshops for women professionals, working women professionals to get together and practice in a safe space, free of judgment, um, and free of dogma <laughs> for them to simply practice asking for what they wanted. And the results were phenomenal. And what I also learned is that women don't like to credit themselves for how much they know about negotiating. <laughs> they, they like to say, I don't know how to negotiate. But then we ask them to, okay, try this mock negotiation. And they killed it. So that was an eye-opener, and one thing led to another, and I joined a great group of salary coaching and consulting company called She Negotiates, and they taught me so much about how to teach the skill of negotiation and influencing to women. And then um, one of the co-founders, Lisa Gates, she said, you know, you should really learn how to coach because that'll change everything. <laughs> so I'm like, Okay. So I trained as a coach with a group called Coactive. And um, yeah, it was really transformational because what I learned was not just uh, how to give advice and the how-tos, but really dig deep into people's values, motivation, um, and, and the drive that people have uh, to stick their neck out, to speak up, and to ask for what they want. Wow. So, so why is there um, why is there a demand for this? For why is it so difficult for people who didn't have a mother like yours to um, negotiate salary? What are the uh, what are the blocks? What gets in the way? Why is it so hard? Yeah, you know, I had a mother amazing. I have an amazing mother who uh, is who is a tough negotiator, and I still struggled. And people. You know, regardless of who your mother is and how she is and how your father is, I think many people do struggle, both men and it's women. It's right? It's, uh, it, it, that, that conversation is nerve-wracking for most people. Yeah. I, I think, first, we never learned it in school. We were never taught how to uh, think like business people. In school, we learn how to 
think like factory people who know all the answers, who can fill out the forms.、Um, and if you go to liberal arts school, you you learn how to think on your own feet. But again, it's not how to think like business people who have to、uh, advocate for the value you're、right. offering. And I think another reason is、um, because of this education, because of the kind of Uh, socialization that we、uh, we get as、um, young people, we we tend to seek validation of our value from external sources. We want to be acknowledged by the people at work, in our lives, by our friends. We want to get people's approval, and you know we equate. Money with approval and status and love,、Absolutely. and so, yeah. And so, once we mix up those, you know,、um, signals、uh, in terms of approval, acknowledgement, and feeling like we're accepted and we belong, it gets weird and sticky to stick your neck out and and、uh, negotiate for yourself, especially when it comes to money. So I think there's a lot of things happening. First, we didn't learn it. Second, you know, we're we're taught,、um, and especially, you know, in certain cultures. For example, I'm from Asia, and it's very taboo to say nice things about yourself. <laughs> Let's let, let the listeners in on a few things. So,、uh, having established that there is there is a problem. Um, what、uh, can you give us me some examples of best practices for people who may be in a position whereby they're preparing a, a case for a raise or a promotion, or and or a promotion?、Um, what best practices、uh, should people undergo in in that preparation? Absolutely, number one is research. Number two is articulating articulating your value. And number three is articulating your future potential. So research, research, research. Every negotiation article you find online will emphasize this for a good reason because you don't want to go into the negotiation and ask for something that is so outlandish that it reflects poorly on、right. you. And you also don't want to simply stop at googling things.、Um, you know. I, I, I just coached this woman who、uh, was negotiating, and she wanted to make a hundred percent more than what she's making now. Double her money. <laughs> she wanted to double her income,、um, but the thing is, she she found research. She did find、um, she did find、uh, data that would support that she could get this kind of money if she was working with a different title in a different sector. Right, so you know she works in a non-for-profit, and she wanted to double her income to a hundred thousand dollars, but、um, she found research that would that would support what she wanted, but she didn't really ask the people in her field, in her field of nonprofits,、um, at her level, at level right above her,、right. you know, or people who have worked in in her. Company or have worked in her company 
or, you know, so she didn't really reach out to people who are in the know about the nitty gritty details of what it takes to be promoted and to get a raise in that very specific field at that very specific job. So targeted research, very targeted. Exactly. Targeted research and not just Googling things, but actually talking to people and asking them, what do you think would be a reasonable range for this job? In other words, you don't have to ask people, what do you make? Because that's, you know, uncomfortable and people don't like to answer that question. But you can ask them, you know, since you're an expert in this field, since you're my mentor, maybe you have an idea of what would be a reasonable range for this. Right. So that's a conversation you really should have. In other words, really tap into your network for targeted research. Um, So she didn't do that. She went in and she asked for an amount that was just way beyond her level of experience. And so, you know, she was pushed back and they said, listen, this is for managing director level pay. And so we can't do that. And so from there, uh, she ended up, you know, coming down to a different number. And then when they pushed back on that, she went down again. So in other words, she, she haggled <laughs> instead of going back to the drawing board, which was unfortunate. And this is somebody who I hadn't yet coached. So um, I think that's a, that's a good story to share that, yes, you can ask for way too much money <laughs> And it can reflect poorly on you if you do not tap into your network and do that targeted research. Because you end up on the defensive in the negotiations after it becomes evident, right? Exactly. And you don't really want this negotiation to devolve into a haggling mm-hmm. session. Uh, you want this to be an interest-based uh, mutual benefit conversation uh, where you're you know, growing or expanding that proverbial pie. It's not about splitting the pie, it's about growing the pie. And so to get there, number one, do your research. Number two, articulate your value. And this requires both qualitative and quantitative value. And you're also doing um, this mindfully. Uh, You're keeping in mind what are the key metrics key mission, key goals of your employer, what's really important to them, and how can you uh, show them, demonstrate that you are bringing value and benefiting the employer. And so this may require you to take stock of your contributions. Um, If you work in sales, this is really easy. How much revenue have you brought on? If you work in marketing, how many more eyeballs have you garnered with your marketing efforts? If you work in business development, how many key relationships have you fostered? If you work in customer relations, how how many calls have you answered, right? Everything can be quantified. And if you tie it back to that specific desire, specific need of your employer, you can really articulate that value and make it compelling to them. So are you you suggesting that you turn those uh, those qualities you just mentioned into into dollars, like make it a turn it into a number and then relate that number back to the to the employer? Um. If you can, sure, but if you cannot, it's fine. I guess what I'm saying is there are two components. There's the qualitative part, 
right? I'm working hard. I'm, I'm working to advance the mission of this organization. And then there's the quantitative part. You can say, uh, because of the projects that I have uh, managed and oversaw, we are 35% closer to our mission. Or I have increased the uh, retention of our customers by 26%. So I think um, qualify it, you know, articulate that you are benefiting the employer and be able to substantiate it with data, facts, and figures. Does that clarify? Yes. yes. Um, yeah. What's number three again? Number three is your future potential. So this is the part that I think um, is tricky for many of my clients. We have difficulty being able to articulate how, how, how we can benefit them even more. What is our, our potential for uh, contributing even more value in the future and um, you know this is how you can tie your raise and promotion to the additional value you're going to bring and this is tricky for so many of us because your future potential has not happened yet right it's subjective it's subjective it's just a thought and I was listening to a podcast earlier and somebody said, you know, the future potential by definition is always going to be in the future. Yeah. So it's something, it's, it's something that's never going to arrive, but, but yet compels us to uh, do more, to show up, to speak up and take action and to aspire for more. Um, What's an example of that, Jamie? The example of that is over the weekend, I was coaching one of my clients who works in the energy field. And for her, you know, she has this very personal, uh, personally compelling purpose, uh, a vision for her leadership, which is to change the world. <laughs> She's working and she, she means it in, in a literal sense because She's working in this cutting-edge technology of renewable energy. And so she's working on technology that's going to reduce carbon, um, carbon dioxide emissions, reduce the impact of climate change, uh, and that can potentially unlock a lot of profits um, and more, you know, more value for uh, the energy producers as well as energy consumers. And in that way, she's going to change the world for the better. And, and you know, we were talking about what is the value? You know, how do you benefit this organization? And what she does is she, you know, she's able to work with really um, talented, extremely talented people and extract more value, more innovation through that collaboration. So the promise is great. She can unlock more potential from, uh, from um, driving innovation. And you know, she can probably put a dollar, there are projections you can make. Uh, she can say with this new breakthrough technology, we can unlock billions of 
dollars of value for both the energy producers as well as consumers, then this can be a win-win situation. So this is really compelling. And, and that is her future potential, that she's working really hard to actualize every day. So to summarize, um, research, research, research. Uh, quantify and articulate your value up to that point and express um, personal potential, future potential going forward would be the, th the, three, yeah. the three main pillars to this negotiation. Right, right. And, you know, I, I give you a very um, personal example of somebody whose uh, leadership purpose is tied to that future potential. And it could be something really simple as well. I also coached this woman who uh, worked in marketing and she, she had committed to doubling her revenues for that company um, as a director. So, you know, she brought in $13 million in online sales. And now she's committed to doubling that, like $26 million in the next year. That's future potential. It hasn't yet been committed to that. And, you know, her negotiation strategy was, you know, let's look at my compensation. Let's just put it in perspective. In, in um, proportion to the revenue that I'm bringing, I'm making less than 1%. It's less than 1%. It's not the value that I'm contributing to this organization. The millions of dollars that my efforts will bring into this organization worth more than just 1%. Right. And so I'm happy to report she ended up um, earning $30,000 more from that conversation. Good for yeah. her and good for you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> um, so let's just talk, if we could, uh, for a while about another area of intersection, um, and we did allude to this a little bit earlier between our two practices. Um, can you identify some, some general beliefs about money that tend to hold people back from, um, from asking and earning more, asking for and earning more? What are, what are some examples of these beliefs that hold people back? If you have a money belief, here's a... Here's an exercise I do with my clients. I ask them to fill in the blank. Money is blank. Money was blank. Money will be blank. So if you're listening to this, I encourage you to, you know, answer for yourself. How would you fill in that blank? And a lot of people tell me money is stressful. Money was stressful. Money was lacking. Money will be trouble. Money is an evil necessity. Money was a hassle and money will be a headache. Isn't it more lack of money might be a headache? Or is it that the actual having the money is it can generate the headache? It's, it's interesting how people who have had experience of lack of money also experience that in the future money will cause yeah, headaches. I've seen that. Yeah. More money, more problems. That was another saying I've heard. Yeah. 
because because it's interesting how you know if you had experienced um, scarcity, you think more money will be okay. But it's actually really hard to shake off that scarcity mindset once you have experienced it. I I know this myself because um, you know when I was growing up, money was tight. Money was really tight, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, these are money beliefs I'm trying to work through myself. If you don't have a money story, if you don't work towards believing that money is awesome. I mean, money, money is the longest relationship that we have, right? When you're, the moment you're born, you develop a relationship mm. with money. You're born in a nice hospital. What country you're born in? What kind of home are you going to be taken back to from the hospital? And money may well be the very last thing you think of before you die. Is there going to be enough money for my kids? I hope not, else? but I guess it could. It be. could be. It's right. It's going to be right up there. You're going to be making considerations. So, your 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 relationship with money outlives your relationship with your parents, with your partner, with your. It's 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 an ongoing, never-ending relationship, and obviously, yeah. as you've just alluded to, it it evolves. Right. So um, yeah. I, I found that very interesting what you just said. Yeah, because money itself is it's simply an object. It just sits there in my wallet. You know, theoretically, it's in my bank account, um, <laughs> but it's, it's just there. It's it's innocent. It's what we think about money, the stories that we assign to money that trips us up either. You know, it trips us up if we believe that money is trouble, stressful, lacking, evil, or, you know, brings more problems. Then it trips us up when we go to ask for money. Or, you know, if we believe that money is just, it's, it's just an inanimate object, but I'm going to believe that more money I have, the more problems I can solve, more benefit I can uh, contribute to the world, and, um you know, more happier I can be, more problems I can solve for myself with more money. If you have a positive story about money, then I think it's going to be less difficult for you to make that money. Right. Or to have conversations with your boss or indeed to have conversations with people like me. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Jamie, um, as we're going to start to wind things up, what I would love to know um, from you, from uh, Gage on your experience, um, having looked at all these different approaches, what sets apart those people who, I think as you put it, negotiate with a plum from those who negotiate, uh, who bomb in negotiations? In other words, what sets apart the good negotiators from the bad negotiators, whether it's after a session with you, something that's somewhat natural to them. What are the, what are the differences? Yeah, so the, those who negotiate with aplomb and... <laughs> and those who bomb. Those who bomb, right? Those who, those who negotiate with aplomb, of course, they prepare, they research, they articulate their value, they speak their future potential, they have positive stories about money. Because that's really the only thing you can control about your belief about money. You can believe something positive or negative, right? But I think the number one thing is that they don't have a need to be liked, to be respected, 
and to be comfortable in the negotiation conversation. That's very interesting. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So this is from a great book called Start With No. And in it, the author Jim Camp says, in order for you to master negotiation, you really need to lose your need to be liked, to be right, and to be comfortable. And um, these are some very fundamental needs, that emotional needs that people have to feel safe, to feel that they belong and that they matter. And if you bring that need into the conversation, instead of being self-sufficient in that regard, you're going to have a weakness. You're going to want to be flattered or you're going to, um, I guess, <laughs> uh, be suckered into being flattered. Right. Well, what you're, I guess right? what you're giving, giving to the other side, if you, like, if you want to put it that, in that binary way, is you're giving them a means to satisfy you that does not involve them paying you money by flattery, by mm. praise, by anything else. But if you're not going to respond to that, I'm beginning to see what you mean by it. Um, yeah. Don't, don't yeah. give them some non-monetary ways to, 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 to fob you off. Exactly. These are uh, not necessarily manipulation, but I mean, if people use manipulation tactics to, to making you feel a certain way, right, or they make emotional payments yeah. uh, saying, by saying sorry or um, saying nice things to you or making you think about the future in a different way, these are all ways to gain leverage in the conversation, right, and you feel, oh, wow, this is great. I feel so wonderful and comfortable or in, you know, the complete opposite. I feel so, um, so needy and disregarded, disrespected and angry. And I can't have a rational conversation anymore. I can't think through this, the options that are presented to me. You've fallen into a trap. Right. You're, you're, you're my favorite employee. Everybody loves you. And here's 20% of what you asked for. So. Right. So. Yeah. So if you, if you don't have the need to be liked, you don't have the need to be right. You don't have to be proven right in every, you don't have to be right for every conversation. It's okay that you're wrong and you don't care that you don't, you feel so uncomfortable in the conversation. If you can brave the discomfort of being disliked, of being proven wrong, right? And all you care is about being in this conversation, coming to an agreement that works for both you and the other side, and being open to listening, being open to new information, new insights, no matter how uncomfortable they are, right? You might have to listen to some negative feedback. And if you can put up with that, I mean, you will be very powerful. There's some great insights here, Jamie, and I want to thank you. Thank you so much for letting us uh, letting us see the kind of conversations you have with your clients. Can you, um, if somebody's listening to this and uh, is intrigued and wants to learn more, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? I'm also on Anchor. My podcast is called Born to Thrive with Jamie Lee because I believe we're all born to thrive. <laughs> and my website is jamieleecoach.com. I spell my name J-A-M-I-E. 
L-E-E, and coach is spelled C-O-A-C-H. <laughs> so you can find me on the Anchor podcast or you can come to my website. Jamie, thanks so much for this. Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, for everybody else, I hope it's been useful and uh, we will speak to you soon. Take care, Jamie. Excellent. Thank you, Simon. Have a good one.